Oh, is that the ball chair as you drag it around? Well, <laughs> it only happens after a couple of whiskeys. There has been no drinking. Oh, welcome to episode 17 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight on the panel, we have Ren Wensia. Hello. Kenneth Kalmer. Hi, good evening. I'm Kevin McKelvin, and tonight we are joined by Garen Smith. Hi, everyone. Garen, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's really exciting. It's, it's nice to chat about some of the things that are exciting in the dev world or, or at least what I find very exciting. Uh, so my name is Garen. I'm the founder of Red Comet Labs and uh, nowadays I mainly do a lot of JavaScript. I previously used to do a bit of embedded C back in the day and then progressed to C Sharp and uh, realized the error of my ways very quickly and moved on to Ruby, which is a really fun language, but I've kind of settled on the JavaScript of, of late and, and really enjoy doing that. Um, I do a lot of contract work, working for clients, helping them build their products, as well as, you know, with companies, whatever, building products for them. I really just have a great passion for building great product, products for people, um, specifically web applications. And I have a product of myself called uh, Classroom 7, which is an online training platform, really designed around people that do training and have um, training courses that they do kind of face-to-face, -face, but want to take it online and that was the whole idea around classroom seven and that's actually how i kind of discovered couchdb was when i built that project and got really excited about couchdb and then kind of got involved in that more uh and yeah and i'm actually working on a new product that's hopefully going to be released sometime next year hopefully early early next year sometime and um i also quite involved in the couchdb community uh and i just recently uh was fortunate enough to be elected onto the the PMC or Project Management Committee for the Apache CouchDB. Wow, that's 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 amazing. Um, yeah. I'm I'm just gonna have to like go back there because that was such an interesting like, resume you put there. You you went from C to C sharp. Yeah, like yes. that that was quite an interesting jump. Like how did you how did that happen? Yeah, well, um, so I studied electrical engineering at, at Varsity, and um, the first company I had, we, we built a lot of embedded devices, uh, some of them for GPS tracking units, things like that, and um, we did a lot of work for Rika. If you actually go to game stores and stuff, you'll see there's a funny-looking computer, kind of key, big industrial-strength keyboard with a very old LED display, and that's running kind of a PIC-24, so we used to do the coding on those. And then on the back end, we'd always have a C-sharp server running. Oh, doing okay. that. So then I started switching to doing more of the server side work. And I kind of actually really got passionate about that and enjoyed the C-sharp more. Yeah. Don't you find this weird like uh, dichotomy where like embedded stuff tends to get done, server side stuff never gets done? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what, what's interesting about writing embedded code is you suddenly learn how to test something because... Now, when you write some code and you deploy it to a server, it breaks, you just kind of log in and you fix it, where you've written some embedded code for a device that's sitting four hours away. Yeah, one, yeah. You know, you learn very quickly when you have to make that four-hour drive to go and debug it that uh, <laughs> I should have tested this a lot better. Uh, so it's a, good, it's a good lesson in testing and trying to break it. 
Okay, cool. So then, so then you got into the C sharp stuff, and and you jumped into Ruby. Now, as far as I know, that's like a fairly common thing, like C sharp refugees in the. Yeah, none of them around here, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Kevin and myself were probably similar in some sense. I think we kind of both kind of became friends when uh, we were both kind of looking at C sharp and looking at other languages at the time. Uh, for myself, I just I loved the Ruby community at the time. That was probably around two. 2010 um, or 2009 and I mean especially locally in South Africa there's really strong Ruby development community really interesting people really nice products and stuff being built and really nice open source communities the C-sharp community in those days just didn't compare and writing a dynamic language was really exciting and then kind of you know I think 2010 Node.js came out around about that time and I got really hooked in on Node.js um, and gave a Node.js talk at the Ruby conference, which was probably a stupid idea at the time, but it felt right. <laughs> uh, and um, that's kind of my love for Node.js and kind of JavaScript developed. And yeah, I haven't really looked back from that. I, I do a lot more front-end development now than I do server-side with, with JavaScript, but um, it's a really interesting world. Okay, so front-end, you mean like literally like running in the browser, single-page application? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my favorite stuff at the moment is kind of React along with, say, Redux, uh, PathDB, which hopefully we can chat about a little bit later. That's something I really love. I think that's amazing and, and really will change the way we do development uh, and all those kind of things. I think building, I mean, for the last kind of two years, I've been working on on the new CouchDB uh, dashboard. Or, or, and that we originally wrote in, in Backbone. And then we wrote many custom layers on top of that and realized that we're making a mess if we don't stop and rethink this. So then we moved on to React and just realized, you know, this is really well thought out. This is really kind of quite robust and really helps you actually, you know, for me, good code is when you don't have to write a lot of it. The, you know, the more code yeah. you can delete and let something else do it, the better. And with React, I find that is, is really the case, which is really cool. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common story now. People are sort of stumbling into re realizing it's, this this is a very new thing, and it seems to be the future, especially for me as well. I've, I've had that experience. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I mean, yeah, that's that's. I mean, I was the same when I first looked at React. And I looked at that JSX, and you're kind of writing HTML in your JavaScript, and I was like, no, this is ridiculous. Which idiot is actually going to use this? And then I kind of managed to push through the initial pain of that, and then kind of it struck me halfway through, and I was like, this is the most genius thing I've ever seen because it just allows you to think differently. We're using something like Backbone. Uh, or I mean, I've never really used Angular that much, but with Backbone, especially you, when you're managing subviews or kind of views within views, it's really it gets complicated, and you have to manage a lot of state. Whereas for me, React is amazing because it, you you don't have to worry about rendering; you just say render, just render everything, and then it'll actually find out what to render. And, and I think often people talk about the speed of React, and that's what the greatest thing is. And I think React is fast. I don't think it's amazingly fast. I think it's been said it's faster than it actually is. But the, the genius of React is its mental model. The way you can think about your, your code actually makes it easy again. I find a lot of single page apps when you're working with backbones, it can get really complicated and, and like, you know, your mind starts to kind of start smoking when you're working on it. Whereas with React, it just feels so much more logical. You're working in little components. You've got some oh, smart yeah. components, some dumb ones. Everything links up nicely. It's really easy. And it, it really brings a lot of joy to kind of web development again. Yeah, to me, I, I don't really get that same feeling that it's a big step forward. Um, but I, I think you touched on something which we must definitely get back to, which is uh, the whole Redux and 
that sort of state management affair because I think that's a pretty killer part when when hooked up with immutable state in the front end. You know, you're on you're on to on to a win there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I must admit, Redux is something I'm still very new at, so I can't really say too much of it. Uh, I've only really started playing around with it, but I, I really like this this idea of reducers and, and having actually kind of a more global state. We've done a lot of work using the original Facebook dispatcher and Flux pattern, and that works well. It works nicely, but uh, like it just always felt like it could be optimized a little bit more. And sure, you, you, you end up managing multiple stores and yes. like yeah yeah that gets that's that gets exactly nasty it. yeah yeah that's that's exactly and it actually gets a little bit more complicated than you wanted to where I feel with Redux you kind of you can narrow that down a bit more right right that's that's really where I'm excited about that and and then with Redux and stuff you start using kind of ES six and I mean yeah ES twenty fifteen depending on on how hipster you want to be really but. Um, uh, well, only know, the most hipster stuff for us, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but uh, I, I just want to stop you there and let, let's go. Let's uh, let's backtrack like a little bit because yeah, uh, sure. I think one of the thing, one of the interesting things we want to talk about is CouchDB, right? Yeah. So maybe you can just give us all, and especially for the listeners, like what is CouchDB? I've I've never personally used it, so I'm I'm dead keen to to hear about it and understand a little bit more about what it is. Yeah, yeah, please. I'm an absolute noob when it comes to CouchDB still. So very keen to hear yeah. like what you'd use it for here. Yeah. So you, you give us the intro, we'll brew up some good questions. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, CouchDB is actually, it's been around for a while. It's been around since 2005 and it was kind of, I guess, if, if one of the original kind of NoSQL databases that came out in this era. I mean, often everyone talks about things like, like Mongo or, or React or Cassandra, but kind of CouchDB was there before that. And, and it's actually a really exciting database and, and really interesting one. It's, it's been nice and, and battle tested now that it's been around for a while. And it, it is a kind of a NoSQL JSON store. So you basically store documents in it and you store them, store JSON documents in it. And it's really built for web. And that's what makes it so fun to use with web applications is that you, you actually talk to it through an HTTP interface. So it's actually kind of follows a RESTful pattern. You know, so you kind of, you know, you do a post to put specific data in or a put, or you just get a get and you get your data out, you get your database or how are you managing it. So that's kind of your standard ways of storing data in it. Uh, and it can handle any kind of JSON. Uh, it's very kind of sticks to the kind of semantic rules of HTTP. And then kind of if you talk about CouchDB 1.6, which is the, the latest uh, release we have out, it's got the typical way to query data as you use MapReduce. Which is it, probably the most confusing part of CouchDB is you've got to get used to querying data in a, in a MapReduce kind of way instead of your typical kind of you know SQL query like way. Uh, but I'll come back to that and talk about how we're changing that. But you do, you do have uh, like simple queries, like just sort of query by example on. I'm assuming because you're saying it's like a REST interface, it's a kind of uh, domain model underneath the URL, right? So slash people will give me all the, the people objects in the database? N not quite. It's not quite that restful. Kind of, you can, if you give a kind of a slash people, slash, you say your, your database is called people, but, you know, and you give us forward slash and you give a specific ID, you'll get that document back for sure. But if you want to get, say, if you've got, uh, you know, a people database and you've got a specific age for all the people and you want to get a specific range or all the people that are, are 30 years old, you'd use MapReduce to, to query that. Now, the MapReduce works, it's not quite kind of like a Hadoop 
kind of MapReduce, what actually you're doing is you're building views. So you create a uh, MapReduce query, which you actually write in JavaScript. And then what it does is the first time you actually request it, it actually builds up this view for you and, and builds up this kind of B tree that stores all your data for that MapReduce view. And then after you query it the next couple times, well, anytime you query it after that, it actually gives you the results instantaneously because it's pre-computed all those results for you. So it's kind of one of those those things you've got to be aware of. The first time you query data, if you've got a very large database, it, it could be slow, but after that, it's going to be really fast. Now, the really interesting part then is that if you then update, you add a couple more documents to your database, or you update a, a document in your database, it automatically, when you query that view again, it actually just, um, it gives, it's got all the, the data pre-computed and then the ones that it hasn't, it just runs an update on those. So it then makes it that the views are quite fast. You get quite a fast query back. Uh, does that so make are those sense? View, are the, yeah, yeah. Are those views just the map component? Yes. So then yes, you, yes. you you can then like so so the map is uh, the results of the map are persisted. That's and you right. call them views. Okay, cool. And then you can just uh, submit different reducers or reduction well, functions. That, well, well, you can. You 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 would actually. You know what? The the reducer saved as well actually because you kind of specify what kind of reduce you want to use on it. So it's got some pre-computed okay. ones, so you can do a sum and a count and kind of an aggregate or whatever, or you can do your own custom reduce and right. create it from there. And then you've got a whole lot of specific parameters you can pass to that. Um, but view. but now did you did you say those are live? Like so so I've run this map reduce and then like new data comes in and I I want to redo that. It's kind of just going to do this incremental bit and I can yes. get the results. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's yeah, wicked. It's very cool. Yeah, it makes That's... a big difference. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. And it's quite nice. I mean, I must be honest. I've never been particularly good at SQL. I just, it just doesn't always fit in my mind for some reason. And, you know, working on something that's kind of no SQL, you know, storing semi-structured data for me is more interesting and, and actually easier when you're building kind of web apps. And, uh, you know, working with Cache to be, I, I find it really fun to do it. I mean, for me with Classroom 7, where I use Cache to be is, you know, you design courses. So you design an assessment and then a learner answers the assessment. So it's multiple choice paragraphs or whatever. And you just store that data in a document in the database. And so it doesn't matter what kind of question type, you don't have to kind of shove it into a specific form table, you know, that you normally have in kind of a SQL database. You kind of shove it into semi-structured data and say it's an answer, but it's this type of answer. And it, it makes it really easy to work with, actually. It, it kind of especially fits when you're working with a dynamic language. Okay, that sounds hell of an interesting. Now these, like, reducers and these map functions things, is that all in JavaScript, or how does that so, work? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they, they're all in uh, JavaScript. You can write, write them in, say, you can write some Erlang ones if you, if you want to write. Are, are uh, that way inclined, yes. Yeah, that way inclined. Uh, because CouchDB is, is written on top of Erlang. So it's a nice, robust setup there. Uh, ah, okay. So, so, so CouchDB is an Erlang, like, like, like Rabbit and those kind of things. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and React as well. Um, okay, cool. So, and then, but where, where Kashvi gets really interesting is this whole replication ability. So, and it's really where it kind of shines out. That's kind of its, its standout features, its ability to replicate. So you can take two to be instances and, you know, you can have them on two different servers, two different contents, um, however you want to do it, data, uh, data centers, and you can get them to talk to each other and they can replicate. And you can do it a simple one where you tell one database to talk to the other one and get all its latest data. And it'll slowly replicate that data across 
And the more interesting one is you can get it to do it continuously. So you can get them to continuously talk to each other and continuously make sure that they're in sync. So one of the really nice things is you can kind of save to a local database. Um, and then someone else can save to a separate database but using the same application. And the databases will actually sync and eventually, you know, kind of follow the eventual consistency and make sure that both of their data is now kind of mapping across each other and, and the same, really. Wow. So that sync is bi-directional? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So you can manage it. Um, there's a whole lot of different options on how you do it. You can even filter it and specifically only specific documents actually replicate across. There's a lot of options around it, but it, it's really powerful. Wow, that's, so maybe, that's crazy. Yeah. A bit of background. I remember from the early days when Couch came out, uh, Damien was Damien Katz was the original author. That's correct. Yeah. He was, was working on the Lotus team. And Lotus had this insane ability to synchronize between people's machines on unreliable networks and between remote sites. And it's kind of that knowledge that he used and that experience to rebuild it better for the web. So I must say that replication is fantastic. And it being there from day one is really a killer feature. And it's also that point, like I love, we didn't mention it, but um, Linda, the CouchDB is actually, actually an inc uh, acronym for a cluster of uh, what's an unreliable commodity hardware. And that's where it came from. It was like, this thing needs to be so solid that you can just throw it on a bunch of different servers and your data should be safe. Hey, that's cool. I thought it was something to do with like just goofing off and watching TV. <laughs> I think the idea around Because your data is safe. To do with the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Restful, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, 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 <laughs> you know, Kenneth kind of nails it there. I mean, that's exactly it. And, and it one of the, the big uses of CouchDB is, is places where it's unreliable networks. Uh, there's a really good talk from the JSConf Europe one recently of how they're using it um, in Africa, in like Sierra Leone and, and places like that to kind of fight Ebola and how they're using, and that's where I love PouchDB. So PouchDB, and um, we'll talk about it later, but PouchDB is um, CouchDB written in JavaScript aim to run in the browser. So what it actually means is that you can have your data running in your browser, you can save it in your, your browser, and then it replicates to CouchDB instance. So you can work whether you're offline or online. And, and it's just, it's amazing. And that's the whole idea of CouchDB is you can work in a local instance of CouchDB, but then back up your data somewhere else when your, your, your network is better or you've got a more reliable um, internet or anything like that. So it's all about being able to run and replicate and synchronize data Okay, now that's that's super interesting. Um, JavaScript implementation is that fully featured? Yeah, yeah. PouchDB is is cranking. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, so 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 let, let me we, we can get to PouchDB because um, there's so many things to talk about CouchDB as well. So let me let me uh, finish uh, chatting just about CouchDB in terms of we're releasing a new version soon, which is also really exciting. Uh, we've been working on it for a while, but. Um, we're kind of pushing to get CouchDB 2.0 out as soon as possible. And it's got two really big features. The one is clustering. So now it's actually built up so that you have, you know, previously you'd have it where you'd have one CouchDB instance and you could replicate to another CouchDB instance. But now what you can do is have one CouchDB cluster and internally that cluster will make sure that it's synchronized and it has, it follows the Dynamo model. So it's kind of got its shards on each instance, however you want to set it up. And um, that really adds an extra layer of kind of, you know, making it a lot more robust and, and, and more fail safe. And the other interesting thing with CouchV2 that we're coming out is we've got something called Mango. 
And uh, the idea around Mango is that we've realized that MapReduce isn't always the most intuitive and the easiest thing to learn. So they've developed Mango, which is kind of a MongoDB-inspired query syntax. And so actually what's happening underneath is it's doing MapReduce for you, but when you interact with it, you're kind of just doing a query, kind of like if you're querying MongoDB. Uh, it's a lot easier to work with. It's really nice. Uh, and um, yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, the stuff came out with Couch V2 is, is really cool. It's done a lot of work is, of this has been done by Cloudance, which is an, an IBM uh, company yeah, that yeah, got bought yeah. out by IBM last year. And uh, it's kind of come back from their big systems that they've done there. And, and I mean, they're dealing with terabytes of data. So it's, it's nice and robust. It's been well tested and it's, it's really powerful. This looks really good, man. You're going to have to rewrite everything again. <laughs> cancel. Cancel all the other databases <laughs> and install them and put on Yeah, cache. yeah. Just, well, then. What do, you think, what do you think, Kevin? Should we, like, scrap Postgres? Is this the future? Man? Well, I don't know. That, that's one of my questions that I've got to ask you. Is, so it's something I've been asking for a while is give me a good reason not to use Postgres. Oh, it's called so. CouchDB, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's unpack that a bit. So where would I rather use CouchDB rather than something more traditional like Postgres or you know, SQL Server, MySQL, something like that. I was going to say, the re leaning on the replication, uh, that is such an underplayed uh, part of, of what Couch can do. Definitely, that's the killer feature. And I haven't seen the Mongo syntax, in it, and it's been it's been a few years since I've actually used Couch, but I know where, where I did leave it in production, it's still used in production. The pre-computed views uh, with their results, that is uh, an absolutely fantastic feature. It is so damn fast. At the expense of some storage, so it will take up more space than a, a, a B-tree would in Postgres or any kind of weird, bizarre indexing that you can do into your JSON data formats now. But it's just, and the way that, yeah, that, that, that query syntax, like it, it takes a bit to wrap your head around it. I, I remember the old CouchDB wiki used to have more pages about how to do group buys and joins with uh, Couch and how to change the way you model your data because people couldn't get it in their heads. But once you have that in place, it's fantastically powerful. I mean, it lacks a few things. I don't know what the state of full text search is these days. I, I remember back in the day, people used to hook up clients that would like replicate do a continuous replication from Couch and then index the data into Elasticsearch. There was some talk about embedding Lucene straight into Couch. I don't know if that ever materialized. So, but I definitely think that replication thing. Um, I don't know actually if there's a one of those Jepson posts on Couch. I should go check. But I mean, yeah, if you have got unreliable networks, Postgres is not going to handle it very well. That's my two cents. Yeah, I, th I think. I think, Kevin, we need to come back and answer your question in a bit. I think the, the coming back to the text search quickly, there, there's two ways of doing it. You can do this cache to be Lucene, which you can use, which is which is great and now plugs in now. And um, Cloudance just open sourced their whole um, text search uh, plugin into couch to be. Uh, they've got full instructions and everything. They just released a blog post on how to hook it all up. So you can get full text search with couch to be nowadays quite easily. And you know, with the full text search, you actually get an extra part of the, the Mango query, which is quite nice as well. But, you know, following on from, from the replication and, and where you kind of catch me is definitely different to, to something like Postgres is, is the replication. And that's kind of where, where PouchDB comes in. So, as I said, kind of PouchDB runs in your browser. 
And what it actually normally runs on top of something like IndexedDB, it can also run on top of WebSQL, and it's amazing. So the whole thing is it works exactly like CouchDB. Uh, in some cases, they've even like if there's a bug in CouchDB, they kind of follow that as well, and and make sure that it behaves exactly like CouchDB, and it can do full synchronizations, full replications. It's it's CouchDB is going been going for five years now, and it's re reaching a really nice state of kind of you know. It's really nice and solid now, and and this is where it gives you that power is that you can you can create a web app, and you can and it's partially being used a lot in things like Cordova or even you know in a standard kind of web app. You you build the web app, you start saving all your data and everything, and you save it through PartsDB. And and what PartsDB is actually doing is just saving it into IndexedDB in your browser instance. But at the same time, it's replicating that data back to the server. So what you can then do is. You know, if, if your user suddenly is on a 3G network and it's not really reliable, it can the, your application still behaves as if you've got a full connection. It's still nice and zippy. It still works really well. And, you know, in the background, PartsDB is replicating the data back to the server, uh, you know, whenever it gets a decent connection again. So it handles that, that kind of difficult situation. And how would that handle things like reads? So if you did want to read something out that you don't have a... You perhaps don't have, but it would have to do a query across to the CouchDB instance for? Well, I mean, it's not magic. So, I mean, it has to have that data document to read it. I mean, if it doesn't, it's going to obviously tell you that, it, you know, you're not going to get that document back. So one of the things CouchDB does do is it deals with the situation of conflicts. So if two people try and save a document at the same time, um, it's got this idea of revision control. So it has a revision field in each document and that there manages to see if you're trying to save the latest documents and if you're not then actually warns you so that you have to handle it and fetch the new documents and save it like that so there's some nice um, things built into it you have to be aware of them and it's quite important to kind of understand them otherwise you can kind of you know, get into a bit of trouble and get quite frustrated but once you understand how the revisions work and how conflicts work then it kind of you know it's quite easy to to work mm -hmm. with Kevin, I don't know if you've seen that stuff on React and the vector clocks. No. Okay, so in, in these kind of distributed environments, you have to have a way to generate keys in a distributed world. And sometimes, like, you're going to get conflicts and you're going to get weird situations, you're going to get collisions, or you and I both update the same document. Underneath this, the covers, there's some kind of mechanism to figure out, like, who did what first, who did what later. And then inevitably the, the database will find out that we've both edited the same document, but it'll then want to call out to some sort of resolution mechanism. And often that's where you have to jump in as an operator or as a, a user of these systems. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, yeah, TV no, does. I mean, you, but you'll right. have to say, you'll have to say, what do I do with this? Do I take the like most recently edited one, the last one? Do I try and merge them? You know, I have to have some sort of conflict resolution. That, that I take care of as, as, as the developer. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and that's how CouchB works with using a revision control. So it's basically just a field that gets updated every time you save and, and make sure that, you know, when someone, when the user or, or whatever tries to save a document and make sure it's trying to save the latest document and not, if it doesn't, it says kind of, look, you've got an older version, you need to get the, the latest version first and then handle that yourself. So it pushes that kind of responsibility to the application level. And let me take a stab at this. <clears throat> um, and Garin, please correct me if I'm wrong. I was just thinking through this now and, and maybe a lot has changed. But uh, when you were asking about reading a document, 
with PouchDB if, if the user doesn't have it. So one thing, for example, and this is where the filtered replication can be useful. So whenever the person either logs in or opens your site for the first time, you can basically use a filtered replication stream to just get the documents that matters to that user. So not everybody is carrying a copy of your production database in the index DB. So, and then your, your interface should obviously try and guide that they can't get to a document before, or if it's in history, you can see if CouchDB is still, a pouch is still syncing and show them a status indicator or any kind of thing like that. And then I also think obviously the first time you start replicating, like the initial timestamp since last replication will be nil. So it will just start at the beginning and pull all the data again if somebody nukes their browser history or something. Yeah. Or did I completely butcher that? No, 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 Kenneth, you're spot on. And, and there's another nice PouchDB plugin because what's really nice with PouchDB has got a lot of plugins that really add functionality. And one of them is, is PouchDB load, which does it really fast. It kind of just in CouchDB, you get something called all docs, which literally just fetches all the documents and it can do that and um, fetch all those documents quickly and put them into your PouchDB database. And, and linking on from this, what another interesting thing is, is CouchDB has something called a changes feed. And I think, I think Postgres is adding something like that soon, but the idea on changes feed is you can actually follow a database and know what activity is happening on it. So I don't know if you've seen, there's a really new cool uh, product come out called Greenkeeper, which kind of monitors your NPM uh, dependencies. And then if you've got any ones that are out of date, it'll actually send you a pull request for the latest uh, to update your package.json and give you the latest dependency. And it's a great example of how the changes feed works. It it sits there and watches the, the NPM registry and the moment that there's a the, the changes feed shows that there's a specific package that's been updated, it automatically then looks through its list of um, applications that use uh, a, use that specific package and then yeah, sends them a pull that, that request. Depend yeah, on that. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah, there was that. There was that fun um, like uh, comment thread and a pull request where the Google bot was yes, arguing with exactly Greenkeeper. Yes. Saying, hey, like, have you signed the like CLA? And then the, the people were saying no and just carried on. Yeah. Kind of like got yeah, out of hand. Yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. We've invented AI. That actually reminded me of a feature of Couchup you didn't mention um, is attachments to documents. So binary attachments. I know that was probably like some of the early scaling problems that with NPM was that they attached the actual package to the documents. I think they've changed that some time ago already to help solve that off. The packages are stored somewhere else and just a, a link is stored to the document. I might be talking out my backside <laughs> no. here. But that's also kind of a, a nice feature that you can just, you don't need this bizarre binary blob columns. You can just have a document and attach as many binary attachments to it as you need. That's a distinguishing feature. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I think it, it still is kind of, it's one of those things that works really nicely at this kind of a smaller scale. And I think that's where NPM, they overused it, I think. But I'm, I must be honest, I'm careful with the NPM because I don't quite understand the full the full issues they had there. But, and um, it was a long time ago. But it, you, you can definitely store documents. Yeah, you can definitely store store documents in CouchDB and, it, and it's, it's really nice to work with them like that. But you gotta, you're definitely going to reach a point where I think you need to store them on something else and kind of do have a reference or a link to it. Again, I can see this um, when you then syncing that with PouchDB, you don't want you know, every single NPM package and its binary attachments to come down with that. So 
Is that where you use that filtered replication again? Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, yes, that, that was a kind of light bulb for me if, with if, Renon was like yeah. you would only replicate to the user the user's data, right? You wouldn't replicate the whole like thing. That that's correct. And there's actually a couple of ways of looking at that. One of the one of the ones is to use filtered replication. And the, the other one, which I haven't done myself and so I'm not not too sure is is the the concept of a database per user and um what actually happens is that when someone kind of signs up to your application whatever you actually create them a dedicated database and so when you actually do kind of parts to be replication you're actually um replicating with parts but you're just replicating that user's data so then you don't have to worry about filter or anything you're just doing a full replication and i think that would work really nicely uh in 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 some kind of situation i think you've also got to be careful how you use it, uh, I haven't I haven't used it myself personally, so I don't have too much experience with it. But it's definitely something that I kind of, whenever I start a new application, I kind of think about whether I need to use that or not. So, so does CouchDB have some sort of concept of namespaces or schemas or something like that? No, not not anything defined. I mean, that's all works how you want to define it. There's some nice best practices out there, but there's nothing specific. Uh, so you, you'd, you'd essentially that. create a whole new database for each user then in that scenario? Yes, yeah. When you, you Don't make it sound so scary, Len. I think it's the first time I tell people that they're always kind of like, what a whole new database. But you know, in, in CouchDB land, it's just a file descriptor. So you create the file on the DB, on the, on the disk, and if, if that user doesn't log in again, you, you kind of eventually throw away that file descriptor and you kind of just keep the ones that are active. So it's not a major penalty. In CouchDB, it, it's, it's not a big issue. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> I think there is some overhead with <clears throat> if you do the database per user, which probably scared me off every time I tried to think about it, is all your stored views, you'll need to go and update for every single user whenever you do that kind of, whenever you make a change to any of your queries. Yes. I don't know if there's a shortcut around that. No, there isn't. I mean, so that's kind of one of the things you always... I mean, there again, replication comes in. If you replicate to a specific database that has your official views, and then you can replicate those views to all the databases that need them, they would kind of stay up to date. Um, but there's an interesting um, website that links to all of this. If you go to npm-browser.com, it's actually npm in your browser. And you'll, you actually, if you go there, it'll automatically pull down SkimDB, which is just... Um, kind of the metadata for each npm package and i'll put it into your index db and then you know if you if you turn your your internet off you still got full access to npm it's a nice example of what we're talking about that's pretty cool that's pretty cool okay um so pouch db find uh, you said that this is uh is something you're involved with maybe you want to tell yeah, us sure. a bit that, about that that's um so pouch db find is basically trying to write and and get uh Couchbee's new Mongo or uh, Couchbee's new Mango or the new query syntax working in PouchDB. So it's basically a, a plugin that goes into to PouchDB and we're hoping soon to actually release it as the official query, the way to query a PouchDB instance. Uh, it was originally written by, by Nolan Lawson. He's one of the kind of the main contributors to PouchDB and he, he's written a, a ton of code, some really great stuff. And so I've kind of recently just started working with him to try and get it up to version one and just get get it kind of feature compatible with CouchDB. So I think I'm hoping in the next two weeks or so, we'll actually have that up and running and have it so that you can actually kind of use that uh, MongoDB kind of inspired syntax in PouchDB. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's super cool. And it's nice because you can actually use it with Couch to be, or you can use it with, with your Pouch to be instance. So you can, you know, it kind of works for both, for, for both databases. It's in JavaScript, which is always awesome. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Just, just one further question on PouchDB. I'm assuming because it's JavaScript, it can run inside Node? Yes. Yeah. So that's that's another interesting thing. They've got something called PouchDB Server. Now, obviously, it's it's not as robust as CouchDB, but it, PouchDB Server emulates CouchDB, but it's running in Node. And um, what's really interesting is you can actually, it runs with level, by default, it runs with level DB, but you can actually set it up to run with, say, Redis as a backend. You can have it in an in-memory database. There's a whole lot of different plugins that people have built so that you can actually have a specific database storing the data on the back end, but it's kind of parts to be on the front end, kind of interacts as parts to be. Um, you know, one of the, the simplest use cases for that is just writing tests. If you, you've got an application and you just want it to be, and you're writing some integration tests, you can use parts to be and have an in-memory database as you're testing. You know, a lot of people started playing around with that. Then are these parts to be instances, whether it's on in a browser or running on node, are they able to replicate between each other as well? Yeah. So, so the replication protocol of CouchDB is actually kind of a defined protocol. And so if you stick to that, you can get anything to replicate to each other. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I mean, the idea, I guess, I've, I've never tried it, but I mean, you can get something like Redis. You store your data in Redis, but have it replicate to another CouchDB instance or however you want to do it. You know, so you can have different databases. We could use Postgres as a storage engine for CouchDB. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually being dead serious. You realize that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, I, I don't know if it works with Postgres, but uh, there might be. some relational to your couch. Yeah, exactly. And it gives you then that, that you know, one of the things with CouchDB is you can't kind of do ad hoc queries. But if you can get your data into something like Postgres, you can then do the, your ad, ad hoc queries. That's super cool. That's super cool. All right. And, and um, just looking through the notes here, we've got uh, something called Hoodie, which is what? Similar to Meteor. Yeah. So, so Hoodie is, is done by a team in, in, in Germany. And they're really kind of, in some sense, trying to build kind of the jQuery for authentication and data. And, and basically, the, the new version that's going to be coming out soon is, is actually built on top of PouchDB. But basically, they, they, the, the concept there is to be this offline first, to build your application you know, with the expectation that the user is actually not connected to a server. But at the same time, have a really friendly API that you can have a server that's actually, the Hoodie server is actually up and running already. So you can, they've got a really nice API to create users, send emails, and do all of that stuff already. And um, it's really designed to be really quick and easy to get building applications. Uh, you know, one of their, their thinking is, you know, if you're, if you're someone who wants to learn programming, you've just learned a little bit of JavaScript, you learned a little bit of HTML and CSS, Hoodie should be your next step because it's really easy to start building applications because all the user management, you know, managing your offline, whether you're offline or online, all of that is done by Hoodie and you can actually just sit there and build your application. Yeah, I like this idea and I think I've seen it in a lot of places now, which is sort of mature app stacks which have everything built in, best of breed, good logging practices, good auth practices, you know, learn from the best, package it up, and it's available to new users as a really good starting point for developing apps. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And the other thing with Hoodie is, you know, they're actually a really nice community. They're really friendly. 
you know, if you're looking to get involved in an open source community, the, the hoodie community is a really nice one. Um, the couch to be one, obviously, I'd say is, is also an amazing community to be involved with, but they're all really friendly. We're really welcoming and, and really want to help people get involved. Well, you guys certainly have great names. I mean, Couch and Hoodie, they're awesome. Mm. Yeah, we've got to win some kind of award for best naming of our open source uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Cool. Kevin, Kenneth, any other questions for Garen? I don't think so. I, mean, I must say, as like, like I said, I haven't used it in, in quite some time, but I've tried to follow it as best I can through Garen and, and Jan Lennart. Um, that kind of like the hoodie stuff as well looks really great to see what those guys are doing. I'm just happy it's so healthy. I mean, this database is now 10 years old, maybe a little older already. Yeah. And I mean, it's really battle tested. And it's like it was there before NoSQL really exploded in popularity. And I've just seen it run and run and run. It's well worth the learning curve. It's a lot of fun to work with. And you can also do serious, serious stuff with it. I don't think I've got any other questions i mean i'm already in the space so i don't know kevin do you want to play it off against something else that you know well bring some interesting questions uh, i don't think i've got anything more to question that I, I do just find interesting you mentioned how you know 10 years old uh no sql and my first introduction really to when i first heard about this whole no sql thing was uh, around couch db so it, it's really Gained quite a good reputation around that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just got I just got one question around like kind of replication speeds and that sort of stuff. So I'm in the browser. Somebody sticks a record in on the server. So if I'm in the browser running PouchDB, servers running CouchDB, what's the sort of latency between you know or, you know how long does it take for the replication to happen? I can't I can't give you any hard coded uh, numbers, but you know basically underneath you know PouchDB is kind of doing a you're kind of doing Ajax calls. Uh, I've actually forgotten the name of it, but it's doing long polling to some sense. Okay, uh, yeah, so yeah. it's going to be doing that. But there's actually a new version, a new plugin for PouchDB that actually does WebSockets. So you're going to kind of work at that kind of speed. You know, it's not going to be horribly slow. I mean, it's, it, it, it gives you some very good response times. You know, doing, doing replication of a lot of documents is going to take some time. But, you know, keeping up, up to date with one document changing between two, two, um, users or whatever like that, it's, it's going to be fast. Okay, and then let's say I bring up a, a, like a popular site and it's got like 100 users all running pouch against the server. Is the server going to take a lot of strain or does it handle those kind of loads with ease? Well, I mean, it's CouchDB is, is running Erlang and it's, you know, it's running some battle-tested web servers there. So, I mean, I think 100, 100, 100 users, it's still yawning, you know, it's kind of bored. I think you're going to have to push it up yeah, a bit yeah. more than that. But yeah, it definitely can handle those kind of loads, for sure. So, I mean, Erlang is web, uh, what's it, uh, WhatsApp scale, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is yeah. that. And, and with Cash to be... Well, there's web scale and then there's WhatsApp yeah. scale, right? <laughs> and, and, and with Cash to be, I mean, especially with Cash to be 2, with it being clustered, you know, it can handle it even at a bigger scale because you're going to be putting three to six to nine nodes down. So, I mean, that's, that's three servers, that's three machines that you can now hit you know, with a kind of a load balancer in front of that. So it can handle a really, you know, heavy, heavy request load, really. Hmm. So I do have a bit of a question around the Erlang side then, because a lot of guys are now jumping onto the Elixir bandwagon. And is there any kind of interrupt there that you can play off? I mean, Elixir being based on Erlang, 
would you be able to write some of those MapReduce type queries using Elixir instead of Erlang? At this point, nothing official, but there has been talk around that. Uh, there is there is the thinking of with Couch to be, you know, there's a lot of there's a couple of tests built into it. So, you know, we, whenever we do a release, we're running all those tests. We've got Couch to be hooked up to Travis, and we use eUnits. And there's a lot of talk now at the moment of trying to see if we can actually move those tests from using eUnit to using using something like that instead and making it uh, a little bit more open for the community to get involved. And I know some people have played around with some custom uh, oh, uh, views and, and map reducers in in that so that they can pro, uh, write it in that instead of writing in Erlang. So maybe as a closing thought or last questions from my side is, maybe if you can share a little bit about how the PMC works and this release cycles and the being a part of the Apache Software Foundation and what it takes for somebody else, yeah. if they're curious, to really get involved. Like, is there any kind of legalese or CLAs or funny hoops to jump through? And when, what is the PMC, man? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think that's that's the really another one of kind of, look, obviously, I think I've been drinking the Kool-Aid for too long, but I find a lot of the sides of Couch to be really interesting. And and how it's run is 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 also really cool. It's... It, um, Couch to be falls under the Apache Foundation, which is a, a non-profit organization that kind of provides support for, for projects to, you know, to grow and, and to, to run well. And it, it provides a really nice guideline on how a project can be governed. So there's a lot of projects under it. Uh, you know, you've got Hadoop, you've got Cordova, you've got the actual Apache web server, which is the original one. And each, the foundation then has the, the PMC for each project. So it's actually called the Project Management Committee. And those are the, the people that govern a specific project. And then they then send kind of a board report or whatever to the actual Apache Foundation board of directors or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies that then sponsor the Apache Foundation. You got Google and you got Microsoft. You got all of them kind of providing support and money to it. And then each, each project kind of governs itself, but within the Apache Foundation. Guidelines. So there's actually a, a legal mailing list. So if you've got any specific legal questions, you can ask on that. We've got to be a little bit careful then on which libraries we use, depend on within our project. So anything with kind of the GPL license is a no-no, you know, things like that. We've got to kind of give correct attributions. And then within CouchDB, you've got, like I mentioned, the PMC who kind of govern it, and you've got committers. And then a committer has an actual commit key so that they're able to commit code to the database, uh, to uh, to Couchdb, as well as you can become a committer for, you know, writing documentation, helping people in the, the community. You know, that's really a nice thing about Couchdb is we've got a big focus on not just giving the highlight to people that write code, but trying to support everyone within the Couchdb community. As long, you know, if you contribute in some way, we want to kind of give you some kind of acknowledgement and, and often kind of make you a committer status. So, you know, if you if you're writing documentation, you're just helping on the mailing list. You we do a kind of a, a weekly meeting. We not always run it weekly, but in theory, it should be weekly. You know, if you're involved in those, you kind of will get acknowledged for it and and, and thanked for it, and, and you kind of get your committer status. And then under that is kind of your general people that are just using cards to be asking questions or committing a bit of code here and there. And then so for each release or any of those, it it works on where we build a release. We then go through a, a voting section where everyone will download the Apache, uh, the CouchDB release version, run the tests on it, check it, and then kind of vote on whether you get a plus one on whether it's actually good to go. And then 
I think it is a 72 hour period where the votes happen. And then at the end of that, collate those votes and we release a new version of CouchDB. And, and what's cool about this as well is that you can run a lot of things like that. So if there's a situation uh, where we want to make a specific change or someone wants to propose specific changes, like, like for us, when we introduced the, the code of conduct in, into, the, into the Apache CouchDB team, we kind of, a whole lot of people worked on it. And then there was voting around specific sections and stuff like that. And there's a whole lot of voting rules around it. So it's really quite democratic, I think, in that sense, but well-managed. So that it's not just kind of the loudest people get acknowledged, but it's kind of well-managed. And it's a really interesting way. I mean, it's not always easy. There's definitely difficult periods and there can definitely be some shouting on the mailing list. But generally, things run really well. And I think everyone respects each other. And that's, that's really where the strong focus of Couchdb is to build a really good database, but really be as in, inclusive as possible. So now, now what, how did you get onto the PMC? I mean, did you just sort of volunteer one day or did you start bug fixing or what was yeah. the process? Yeah, so I mean, I originally started working on Photon. Uh, the original web UI to, to Couchdb is called Futon and it was starting to get a bit old and clunky. So. I started, I was at that stage, I was just lurking in the CouchDB IRC channel and on the mailing list. So there's two mailing lists that are really worth joining as well. You were press scanned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was just kind of lurking there and I saw then that people were looking to build a new to dashboard. So then I kind of got involved with that. So through that, I became a, a committer so that I could have commit status, merge things in and things like that. And yeah, and then I think in the last last month the the pmc then elects new people onto the pmc so they actually kind of do a whole elective process and choose some people and and myself and michelle who's another person that works with me on the dashboard she both of us got uh, elected to to join the pmc and then you get invited into it so it's a real honor yes i see you've you've written quite a lot of code here man yeah 135,000 lines yeah it's uh i've been working on that for a while how long did that take you yeah, we, we've been working on Photon for probably two years now, two and a bit years. Wow. Deleted so, 52,000 lines. Good yeah. man. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I'd be happier if it was more lines deleted than written. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, if you, if you go to, if you log into <laughs> Cloudant is basically, if you go to cloudant.com and, and sign up there, Cloudant is basically a hosted version of couch to beats in some sense. They've got some of their own features. But if you log in there and use the dashboard, um, that's the dashboard I've worked on. It's kind of a variation on Photon. We've kind of built the Photon web UI in a very modular way. So it actually, when you build it, you can choose specific add-ons you want, whether you want to be able to add the replication functionality, well, the, the replication UI into your dashboard or not. So Photon actually works where you can use it for Photon, for CouchDB, you can use it for the Cloud and Dashboard. There's now a variation of it that the PouchDB guys are using for the PouchDB server. And you actually get Photon that actually runs in your browser's kind of an add-on to Chrome. So if you've got PouchDB running on a window, you can actually load up your Photon and actually play around with your CouchDB instance there. So like, it's kind of, that's really where I say mission accomplished on, on what we've done with Photon is that it can be used in a lot of places, which is really cool. And it's nice. It's really cool to see people using something you work on. Yeah, I'm sure that, that, that is a great thing. Okay, cool. Um, I think, look, we're definitely going to have to get you back another time to talk about Redux and React and all those cool things. Awesome, yeah, I'd love to. This is, this has yeah, been, we could go on for another hour on this. Easy. Yeah, this has been super awesome, man. Cool, no, I appreciate yeah. the time. Yeah. Shall we start heading into some picks? Cool.
Yeah, Lynn, perhaps you can kick us off on that. Picks. Ah, well, <laughs> Couch DB for the win. Yes. Um, That's what I like to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the Postgres back end, of course. Of course. Of course. Um, sure. Nothing much from my side at the moment. Uh, weirdly enough, I'm learning Python at the moment. Learn Python the hard way if you guys, if you kids are new to, new to Python, but other than that, well, that's one of those really popular introduction to programming books I recommend often. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Len shared this fantastic Netflix presentation with me earlier this week. Oh, actually, last week. There's no earlier this week. From Reed Hastings on the Netflix culture. <clears throat> that's been a real eye-opener. And then quite accidentally, just before the show, I found this great blog post on scalescale.com where these guys have tried to curate as much of the Netflix architecture as they have uh, made public. And I mean, the Netflix guys are very generous with the information they share. And it's a fantastic read. And in there also, you kind of see how they highlight the slides from Reed Hastings' presentation. And you see why they've built up such a spectacular stack and the kind of company that supports developers in doing this kind of thing. It's a fantastic engineering effort. And this is great. Um, so I'll, I'll give links to that. And then definitely Couch. I give it a serious spin. And I'm looking forward to playing with the pouch stuff a bit. I saw there's an Ember pouch adapter. So I'm going to be having some fun with that. See how that looks out. That's for me. Cool. From my end, I've been, uh, I've been learning or well, trying to get back to some of the roots of computation and how computers work. I've been learning some 6502 assembler. And Len actually pointed me to um it's a great set i guess len's getting his picks through kenny and myself tonight uh, <laughs> i'm subversive what can i say <laughs> um but there's a great emulator of a 6502 chip where it actually draws the whole circuit diagram out you can see the transistors switching and things as you're executing code against that and uh, along with that there's a really good um, introduction to 6502 assembler so i'll paste uh, links to that in the show notes. It's uh, Visual 6502 is the emulator in browser, and then Easy 6502 is the uh, just a short ebook kind of format on with interactive inline. You can go right the assembler, hit the assemble button, run through it step by or line by line, uh, and see see how it's actually executing. So that's pretty cool. Garen, yeah, you have any picks for us? Sure, I'm just gonna keep. Uh beating down the same train already kind of been talking about uh, couchdb.org pouchdb.com and uh, hood.ie is uh, the cool things to check out in, in my opinion um, but hood.ie really, hood that's a very cool url <laughs> yeah it's an awesome one and um yeah pouchdb really it is really something cool you can play with it on the on the actual website if you just open up your your dev tools there's a pouchdb instance to start playing around with there yeah that that's awesome Cool. Thank you so much for your time, man. It's awesome having you. Yeah, and we definitely need to get you back again to pick that brain. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It's been, a, it's been, it's been great chatting to you, and uh, I hope I haven't put anyone to sleep. Definitely not. Yeah. No, no, we're all still very much Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, that's episode 17 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Thanks for listening. Cheers. 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 Woo!